This is Chicago's finest internet radio show, making a world a better place, one show at a time. The George Water Jr. Show is now on the air. Take it away, Dad. Okay. All right. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air, <laughs> live. But once it's uh, recorded and, po- and podcasted, it will not be live, but it'll still be a lively-sounding show because I always try to make my shows lively, if at all possible. You know. So welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show, broadcasting out of the city of Chicago, Chicago, Illinois. It's a beautiful city. It's a great town. We just have rotten politicians. What can we say? And uh, as I've said before, folks, we got to you, you, you have to vet these politicians. I mean, you just can't put these these assholes in office. I mean, you just you can't put a person in office that has a nice, nice sounding name. They sound clear. They promise you everything. You know, uh, if they promise you everything, that should give you a clue right there that they are they will actually give you nothing all for your vote. You just have to uh, do your homework when, uh, you know, picking these guys and girls to vote for, especially Republicans. Man, wow. I mean, these guys, um, they can't govern. They can't lead. They don't know what they're doing. The only thing these guys are doing in office now, 2018, Trump and Trump and his team, I call them goons, um, only thing they they're lining their pockets with taxpayer money. That's what they're doing, and we all know that. We all know that. Anyway, I want to say once again, welcome to the George Wilder Junior Show. Anything goes. Uh, <laughs> I guess that means you know anything can be talked about. It doesn't matter what, you know. So um, we're back on the air. Well, I'm back on the air after a few days off, and uh, you know, yeah, it, it's just. I guess it takes that long to get that Trump, you know, that Trump odor off of me, off of everybody. And Fox News, these people are just pathetic. I wish I could, you know, I I wish I could walk up to some of these people on Fox News and just tell them how I really feel, you know, about uh, them, about these guys attacking Bob Mueller, special counsel Bob Mueller kissing Trump's ass, praising a dictator and a traitor. Somebody need to walk up. I mean, somebody need to grow some balls and just tell these people like it is, you know, especially in the Democratic Party. I think some of the Democrats ought to just stand up and just do not. You know, what what bothers me is that a lot of the Democrats, they try to sound so statesman-like. They try to sound so, you know, they're above it all. That's cool. That's okay. But when the but when the Republicans are getting down in the mud, you have to get down in the mud too. When the Republicans are acting like street street thugs, you have to act like a street thug also because that's the only way they're gonna understand. Uh, you know, I, I used to hate it when the Obama used to do it. I used to hate it when when uh, the Republicans would ridicule him so much, talk about him, talk about his family, and he did nothing. They will talk about Michelle and say awful things about Michelle Obama, and Obama just did not. He didn't even take up for his wife. Uh, these thugs, uh, uh, 
Fox News and 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 the Republicans were they were really really uh, name calling uh, Obama and his family and and I was so shocked surprised that Obama did not uh, take up for his family you know he didn't say anything he just let them talk because he felt that he was above it all you can feel as if you are above it all but I'm gonna tell you something these guys and girls who get down in the gutter uh they win you don't win elections by being above it all not in this day and age you win elections by duking it out with these assholes who are bullying you and trying to make you look bad i mean obama was bullied like he was i mean he was obama was like the little kid in the schoolyard you know just minding his own business all of a sudden you know the bullies walk over uh to him, up on him, and start pushing him around. You know, they push him around, they hit him, they knock him on the ground, Obama get up and say, hey, wow, uh, give him a, uh, I mean, he give him accolades, and all they do is push him around again. I think that's what, uh, I think if Obama would have fought back, a lot of you probably gonna disagree with it, but I just think, I don't believe in turning the other cheek. You know, I, for maybe for a while, but after a while, you know, you got to get down in the mud with these, with these bullies like the Republicans and Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't know crap. There's no doubt about it. Donald Trump can't stand smart people. He can't stand smart people telling the truth on him. He cannot stand it. I mean, you know, right now I'm looking at something on Huffington Post, you know. He's calling the Democrats treasonous because they didn't clap for him at, the, at, at his first State of the Union. They didn't clap for him. And you think about him calling the Democrats treason that didn't clap for him at the State of the Union. But what about the Democrats who didn't watch his ass on television? Are we treasonous too because we didn't watch him? We didn't want to hear those lies, those untruths? that now are being confirmed as a lot of lies, a lot of BS. This guy is just ridiculous upon ridiculous. I can say something else, but I'm on the radio right now. But I just might say it because he just, Donald Trump is just awful. This man is just awful. And Fox News is just awful. I mean, if you know anybody out there that's watching Fox News, tell them to turn that garbage off because that's what it is. That's what it is. Trump spend instead of spending his time working, he spends his time watching TV. That's something. As if he doesn't have anything to do as president. Television watching Don, Donald Trump. And then he, goes, he, he hears something on television about himself that he doesn't like, and then he starts calling names. Threatening people. Threatening people. He should be stopped. We're going to get more. Uh, uh, Donald Trump, that's a quote from Donald Trump saying that Adam Schiff, the Democrat from California representative, uh, he said something that Donald Trump didn't like. And Donald Trump shot back on Twitter saying he should be stopped because he's a liar. There's no bigger liar in the history of the world than Donald Trump. Donald Trump tries to take what you say back, excuse me, 
he tries to take what, he's, what we say about him and throw it back at us. That's how dumb he is. He can't think of his own, <laughs> his own uh, way of trying to get back at you. So he takes what we say about him, which is liar and, and treasonous and a traitor. Then he tries to throw it back on us. And it doesn't hold water. I wrote a post this morning saying that Donald, Donald Trump knows he's guilty. Congress knows he's guilty. We the people, we know he's guilty. The world knows he's guilty. Why is this man not thrown out of office and into a jail cell? All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Follow me on Block Talk Radio. Follow me right here, um, uh, Facebook and all, all, all those other places. And uh, um, yeah, he's, uh, Donald Trump is saying, if you didn't clap for him the State of the Union, you're treasonous. That's a dumb statement to make. A lot of people don't clap when they go. Some people go to uh, theaters and plays and they'll sit there and they're mesmerized and they will not clap. But for him to say this, it's, it's just a distraction to try to distract you away from hopefully uh, Bob Mueller putting handcuffs and leg irons on this guy and dragging his ass from the White House into a paddy wagon because he surely deserves it. The world knows he's guilty. Congress knows he's guilty. But one of the things uh, Congress is guilty of is aiding and abetting Donald Trump. They will not do anything. They are they're letting this treasonous guy, this idiot, this fool, this buffoon, taking some of the words of Robert De Niro and destroy America. A lot of people are saying he's a Russian spy. A lot of people are saying that he's doing, he, he wants to destroy America uh, uh, in the name of Vladimir Putin. Some of that I used to dismiss a while back, but now I'm trying, now I'm starting to uh, believe it. Believe it. Because, I mean, when he was over in Russia visiting this guy, Putin, Trump was just swooning all over this guy. Trump had his head so far, Putin's ass, it wasn't funny. And the whole world saw, saw it. So he gets his ass back to the United States and he wants to be a dictator. He wants to be king. He wants to be emperor. And if you don't treat him like that, even though he's, he's lacking in intellect, lacking in grammar, because every time he uh, posts something, tw uh, tweets something, there's grammar and spelling uh, errors. But he doesn't give a damn. He doesn't give a damn. If, if my kid, if I had a small kid, a, a young child, if I had one, um, I would probably say, son, don't, in this day and time, I don't want you thinking that you can grow up to be president of the United States. Wait until this asshole goes, goes to jail, and then we'll talk about you being uh, president of the United States. You know, son or, or daughter or something. You know, my kid is, uh, he's an adult, they're adults, so. But if I had a younger child, I would probably say, no, no, not now, maybe later. <laughs> we got a problem in the White House. And the thing about Donald Trump, he, this guy just doubles down on being stupid. He doubles down on being ignorant. And this remark, uh, the Dems who did not clap for him at the State of the Union is treasonous. I said it before. It's a distraction. President attacks Democrats not clapping at the State of the Union as un-American. 
There's no one more un-American than Donald Trump. He and his friend, Putin, they're trying to destroy America. Donald Trump is lining his damn pockets with taxpayer money. Doing business in the White House. Golfing more than any other president in the history of the United States. Instead of doing, doing his job, filling these posts, uh, feeling these uh, uh, posts in his administration that are not empty. There are so many posts, empty posts, that he should be hiring people for. Nobody wants to work for him because everybody feels that he's guilty. They don't want to be around him once he uh, is dragged out of the White House and loaded up into a police paddy wagon and headed off to prison. Impeachment is just not good enough for Donald Trump. Impeachment is just, uh, excuse me, impeachment is just not good enough for Americans. We want to see this man locked up. We want to see him paying for his crimes. He has to pay for his crimes. I mean, you got a lot of uh, uh, Republicans jumping ship. I mean, it could be 30 to 50 of these guys and girls quitting, jumping ship. But if they're involved, if, but if they're involved in any way with this Russian cover-up or obstruction of justice or just being criminals, they will go to jail regardless whether they quit, resign, or, or whatever. They're going to jail. Money laundering, you name it. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Wow, you, <laughs> you can see how passionate I get sometimes. And... Um, yeah, I mean, this is just a pissed off statement. I, th- I think he's just, he's just trying to distract you. See, while we're, focusing, while we're focusing on Donald Trump, the Republicans in Congress are passing bills right under our noses that we don't know anything about that's going to hurt us. So we just cannot always focus on Donald Trump because Donald Trump throws stuff out there because being president of the United States, his words are, are, are uh, they expand. Everything he says expands, and he knows it. Everything he says make news, and he knows it. And he knows every, everything he says make news, so he, and he distracts us that way. While Donald Trump is extracting us by saying something stupid, dumb, and doing criminal, and criminal activity, Congress, the Republicans in Congress are writing and passing bills right under our noses. And the next thing you know, they're going to give it to Donald Trump and Donald Trump is going to sign things that hurt America, hurt the poor, hurt the middle class and everybody else. Uh, Because he and the Republicans want America uh, totally, totally. He's doing He's doing everything that the Russians wanted to do. People are saying he's not even a billionaire. He may not even be a millionaire. We haven't seen his taxes. We don't know what the hell he's, if he's a millionaire or a billionaire or not. But I know it's, 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 he's guilty of something or everything. I'm thinking he's guilty of everything. It's just, it's just awful that we have this type of a, person in office. I'm just awful. It, it, it's just terrible. And, but we have to do something. We have to do something. It's going to be, this is going to have to be on the American people because Congress is aiding and abetting this guy. 
They, I, I've heard them say, well, we're not going to do anything about Trump until the investigation is over. But Trump is trying to end the investigation. <laughs> He's been trying to end the investigation every day that it started. He's been obstructing justice every time he opens his mouth. There's plenty of proof out there. There's plenty of evidence out there that this guy has been obstructing justice. He's been obstructing justice right out there in the open. He's not trying to hide it. That's what makes him an idiot. I mean, if you're a criminal, try to hide what you're doing. Trump, he doesn't try to hide it. He lets you know, uh, yeah, I did it. I'm guilty, but I'm the president of the United States, and I'm, and I'm above the law. No, you're not. No, you're not. I, I do think that we're going to, um, I do think that we're going to get out of this. This is just a bad time in America. This, uh, this, is, this will go down in history as one of the worst administrations, one of the worst presidents in since the world was made, <laughs> I mean, since the world came into uh, significance, this is one of the worst administrations, one of the worst presidents ever. And he should be thrown out of office. If this was a Democratic Congress, we'd have gotten rid of Trump a long time ago. But we got these Republicans in Congress who are also in the pockets of Russia in terms of money laundering. Uh, this is why Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, they could be uh, in the pockets of Russia, money laundering. Uh, there's no doubt about it. They're shielding Trump, no matter what their constituents say. The people who put their asses in office gave them their their health care, which is the greatest in the world. But they want to take away our health care. Health care is another subject. But anyway. All right, you've been listening to the George Walter Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio. We should be uh, back. Let me talk to Donald Trump and explain to him that as president of the United States, he represents blacks and Jewish people and Hispanics and people of every color and every creed. And it is his job as president of the...
traditionally, perhaps you aren't aware of this, traditionally, if you're Donald Trump, there's supposed to be a separation, a significant separation between the president and the FBI and other aspects of the DOJ. He obviously doesn't like that. He's been very clear throughout his term. But here he's making it very clear also with Laura Ingram. The saddest thing is that because I'm the President of the United States, I am not supposed to be involved with the Justice Department. I'm not supposed to be involved with uh, the FBI. I'm not supposed That's to right, be doing not. the kind of things that I would love to be doing. And I'm very frustrated by it. Like dictating? So, look, if you just left it there, king, then it could be okay. He wishes happen. he could be doing that. He doesn't understand how the country is supposed to work, but fine. Um, but yeah, then you get doesn't. what he actually he does. And so He's look at what we woke up to this morning. Um, some of this is yesterday, some of this is this morning. Uh, tweeting, everybody is asking why the Justice Department and FBI isn't looking into all of the dishonesty going on with Crooked Hillary and the Dems. Uh, when he says everybody, he means I am asking about that. So there he's putting pressure on the Justice Department and the FBI. Uh, he says people are angry. At some point, the Justice Department and the FBI must do what is right and proper. The American public deserves it. I can't believe you spelled proper right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's, he's got a problem with this next one, too. So uh, the next one, uh, Pocahontas just stated that the Democrats, lead by the legendary crooked Hillary Clinton, rigged the primaries, capitalized. Let's go FBI and Justice Department. So uh, it's important that, again, putting pressure on the FBI and the Justice Department, also using a racial slur against Elizabeth Warren. I mean, it's just, but but it's don't just, worry, it's only literally um, National Native American History Month in America. Right. And he proclaimed it as such three days ago. It's not, I mean, the soft racism of Donald Trump, just the, the effortless racism, you know. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, he apologized earlier, uh, actually on Fox News about that comment when he was making it during the campaign. He said, I feel that I'm not being fair to Pocahontas, so I apologize to Pocahontas. That was nice of him. <laughs> okay, literally. Yeah. Okay. So she responded as well, saying, you might think your tweets are cute, real Donald Trump, but they won't stop Mueller's investigation or keep your people out of jail. And uh, okay, so there is tweeting, which is significant, we'll return to it, but it could even go beyond that. Because with Laura Ingram, he was asked if he would fire Sessions, the Attorney General, if the DOJ doesn't free up agents, I wonder from what, to investigate the DNC, he said, I don't know. A lot of people are disappointed in the Justice Department, including me. And they want to fire Jeff Sessions, but they can't fire Jeff Sessions. Um, uh, in large part because the idea, the, the notion that there'd be another confirmation hearing for another attorney yeah. general. And Rod Rosenstein would be the acting attorney general while Sessions was gone. That's probably worse for mm. Trump. Uh, and uh, it's unclear what kind of lackey AG could get approved right now. In fact, he probably with with Trump, Flake, Corker, Collins, probably can't. You probably can't get anybody. You can't get the candidate, the guy you'd want in there. Yeah. Uh, no, Trump. Or, I'm sorry, or woman. You. I'm just kidding. It'd be a guy. Uh, it's knowing Trump. He might literally take his own personal lawyer and try to make him the attorney general. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So now, okay, let's break this down further. Uh, First of all, when Trump got into office, some conservatives were mad because he said that he actually didn't feel, quote, very strongly about prosecuting Hillary Clinton. He said, I don't want to hurt the Clintons, I really don't. She went through a lot and suffered greatly in many different ways. I remember Ann Coulter was livid about that. And yeah. so after the election, he was basically like, just kidding about the Clintons. That was just like politics. I don't actually want to prosecute them. I, didn't, I don't, don't think I don't they care. did anything right. yeah. wrong, right? So now, why is he bringing them back if he never wanted to prosecute them in the first place? Well, as a shield, obviously, obviously, and we did many stories on this throughout the week. But yesterday, Vanity Fair had a great piece about how 
Roger Stone, as brazen as he is, has admitted publicly, yeah, we want to investigate Hillary Clinton so that we can say Mueller was the head of the FBI at the time and use that as an excuse to fire Mueller. Yeah. That's the, the whole point of this is to protect Trump. It has nothing to do with Hillary Clinton. And we all already know that. And by the way, so does Laura Ingram. But nonetheless, she not only doesn't ask him about that, she serves up the softball of like, aren't people at the Justice Department a problem? Yeah. Right? Uh, do we have to replace some of the people at the Justice Department? So you should think she wasn't that bad. Oh no! She's, on radio, she's really bad. She's terrible. No, no I was just wrong. Yeah. So now, uh, when he says the one part of that, I kind of disagree with you guys. I think John said it when he says everybody's asking why the Justice Department, uh, and you say no, only he's asking. No, what he means is I saw it on Fox and Friends. Yeah. Right. Right. And it, and if I, whatever I'm watching, uh, my pea-sized brain thinks everybody's watching. But, but everybody's wondering also, why. I mean, look, the country's huge. I mean, remember, I've used this point a lot, but I think it always bears repeating. Even if Trump had gotten the beating in November that he should have, right? Uh, he was still <laughs> going to get Hillary, yeah, he Hillary beat him by 12 points, a landslide. He, Trump still would have gotten 50 million votes. Yeah. Right? 50 million Americans were going to, that's like a base, 48 million, even yeah. if he had ran the worst campaign ever. So, you know, you go on Twitter, I follow a couple of people who retweet the Trump. I, don't, I, I think they're real. Um, but the stuff that gets said, like, you, if you want to think that the country's with you, you, you know, just look at the response today to Bo Bergdahl, right? Yeah, what about people naming people that judge who want to go after that judge? You know, so you might, there it is. Those, they're, they're your people. Yeah. Right, uh, so you can find you can make a case that that's what people are talking about that Hillary should be investigated. Yeah, yeah, it, it is possible. Um, but there's there's one other thing that I want right. to say. So obviously, like he, there, there's a possibility that he could use this. Uh, you know, we've been talking throughout this week about Jeff Sessions being caught apparently perjuring himself. Mm -hmm. That it might be in Trump's interest to uh, take yeah, Sessions yeah. out, so he could theoretically, if he could get somebody, put someone in who could shut yeah. down Mueller and, and all of that. Which wouldn't that be yeah. amazing that? Sessions lying about contacts with Russians would be used as a pretext to bring someone in who could stop the Russian investigation. That would be amazing. But I, but I don't think that we should gloss over these tweets and those comments too much. I mean, I think it's crazy how far we've moved as a country that we don't consider this theoretically worthy of impeachment. And I read on Twitter, I forget, I can't give them credit, but it was an interesting thought exper uh, experiment. It was, what if we heard a taped conversation where he went and talked to the FBI and said, I want you to investigate Hillary and the Democrats? That's basically what took yeah, down Nixon. But here he has multiple tweets yelling right. at the FBI and the Justice Department to go after Hillary Clinton and the Democrats. And for some reason, that's totally fine. Yeah, no, it's not totally fine. It's, uh, it's a, a number of different crimes. As you said, uh, Nixon went down because he was uh, going after his political opponents in Watergate. He broke into the Democratic office. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is the more important part is obstruction of justice. Here he is saying, I would like to meddle with the Justice Department investigation into me. It's yeah. the definition of obstruction of justice. I hope Mueller I would like has to a Twitter account. I would like to fire people at the Justice Department who are investigating me. <laughs> I mean, I think that Mueller's looking at it like, like this is, is this too on the nose. I can't even use this. I'm crazy. Like, yeah, can I? I mean, it's going to be weird when I arrest them because people are going to be like, what? He just said it on Twitter. Oh, that was a freebie. <laughs> right? Like, Yes, you can't say that I would like to stop an investigation of myself. There's a reason why the Justice Department is separated from the, the, the president. Because they might have to investigate the president. Because it's a democracy, it's not a dictatorship. Yes. He doesn't know or understand America. He doesn't care about the concept, he just wants to be a dictator. And this is clear violation of the law. You cannot do this, you can't obstruct an investigation of yourself by the Justice Department. Um, 
I would just like to say that the fact that he can't is the saddest thing. <laughs> That's literally what he said. It's the saddest thing the that I can't do that. That's right. There's a lot of sadness Maybe. in the world, but that is the saddest. Watch the Young Turks commercial free. Download it or stream it. Watch it any way you like at tytnetwork.com slash join.
Mr. Trump, it's Dixon White here, sending a video letter directly to you, sir. And the only reason I call you sir is because the office that you hold is supposed to be a respectable office. But So I just want to speak directly to you, Mr. Trump. I know you may never get this video. Maybe you will, though, because at least I have white skin like you. But first, I wanted to applaud you for one thing, and only one thing. Um, many racists in politics are very covert. So I applaud you for being an open racist, and I applaud you for at least letting us see just how racist you are. And it's now it's it's well established worldwide that you are a bona fide white supremacist. Um, there's not a nation that hasn't condemned you as a racist. So you have dishonored and disgraced one of the, the highest office offices in the land. But I wanted to say one thing. You made a comment yesterday about shithole countries, poor, black, brown countries. So because they're poor, because they're black and brown and not white or European, you consider them shitholes. Well, I wanted to give you an accurate definition of a shithole nation. A shithole nation, by definition, would be a nation like America that allows and tolerates a racist to operate in their highest office, the presidency. That is a shithole nation nation that tolerates a racist president. There is no worse pile of shit or turd in the toilet out of all the other countries than a great nation like America that allows its president to be an open white supremacist and then to allow them to continue to function as president. That's the biggest turd in the pot, or as you say, the biggest shithole. Why? Because you, Mr. Trump, are the shit, the turd, in the White House that's staining and putting the foul odor all over our nation. And of course, the only reason you're there is because you're a racist. You're a complete and utter idiot with no competency whatsoever to be where you're at. The only reason you're there is because we had a black president and our racist nation wanted a racist president after a black president. So until America can get past its racism, which I don't know if it ever has because there's one thing about black folks, Mr. Trump. Black folks have always understood one thing. The more things change in this country, the more they stay the same. You are living proof that any white person, no matter how racist they are, and matter of fact, racism is actually more of a compliment in this nation. It's like apple pie racism in America. They go hand in hand. If you're a white American, you're a racist, and you've and you've proven that. And not only you're racist, if you're a racist, you get rewarded for being a racist in this country. Why? 
because we are a racist organization called America. Fact. And nothing has changed in 400 years. What has really changed? We're still seeing black and brown folks executed in the street. Not that you and Jeff Sessions or any of your racist motherfucking cabinet care. You don't give a fuck about justice for people of color. You're all a group of white nationalists. So I just want to tell you, here's one white guy, and I'm telling you personally, Donald Trump, kiss my white fat ass. I hate you, Donald Trump. I literally hate you. And I pray to God you get impeached. You're an embarrassment to our nation and upon the world. Please do us all a favor and resign. The only people that want you in office are more racist. And yes, I know that our country, the majority of white people are racist. And the majority of white people totally and completely support you. I really believe that. Because they're not supporting you, then they're silently ignoring your racism. But anyhow, please do us all a favor. In Congress, please act to remove this racist motherfucker and his racist administration, or Congress is no better. Please remove this racist motherfucker from office. It's 2018, guys. And if we can't remove this racist motherfucker from office... America is no better than it was 400 years ago.
I'm here today to talk about a disturbing question, which has an equally disturbing answer. My topic is the secrets of domestic violence. And the question I'm going to tackle is the one question everyone always asks. Why does she stay? Why would anyone stay with a man who beats her? I'm not a psychiatrist, a social worker, or an expert in domestic violence. I'm just one woman with a story to tell. I was 22. I had just graduated from Harvard College. I'd moved to New York City for my first job as a writer and editor at Seventeen Magazine. I had my first apartment, my first little green American Express card, and I had a very big secret. My secret was that I had this gun loaded with hollow-point bullets pointed at my head by the man who I thought was my soulmate many, many times. The man who I loved more than anybody on earth held a gun to my head and threatened to kill me more times than I can even remember. I'm here to tell you the story of crazy love, a psychological trap disguised as love, one that millions of women and even a few men fall into every year. It may even be your story. I don't look like a typical domestic violence survivor. I have a BA in English from Harvard College, an MBA in marketing from Wharton Business School. I spent most of my career working for Fortune 500 companies, including Johnson & Johnson, Leo Burnett, and The Washington Post. I've been married for almost 20 years to my second husband, and we have three kids together. My dog is a black lab, and I drive a Honda Odyssey minivan. <laughs> so my first message for you is that domestic violence happens to everyone. All races, all religions, all income and education levels. It's everywhere. And my second message is that everyone thinks domestic violence happens to women, that it's a women's issue. Not exactly. Over 85% of abusers are men. And domestic abuse happens only in intimate, interdependent, long-term relationships. In other words, in families the last place we would want or expect to find violence, which is one reason domestic abuse is so confusing. I would have told you myself that I was the last person on earth who would stay with a man who beats me. But in fact, I was a very typical victim because of my age. I was 22. And in the United States, women ages 16 to 24 are three times as likely to be domestic violence victims as women of other ages. And over 500 women and girls this age are killed every year by abusive partners, boyfriends, and husbands in the United States. I was also a very typical victim because I knew nothing about domestic violence, its warning signs or its patterns. I met Connor on a cold, rainy January night. He sat next to me on the New York City subway, and he started chatting me up. He told me two things. One was that he, too, had just graduated from an Ivy League school and that he worked at a very impressive Wall Street bank. 
But what made the biggest impression on me that first meeting was that he was smart and funny. And he looked like a farm boy. He had these big cheeks, these big apple cheeks, and this wheat blonde hair, and he seemed so sweet. One of the smartest things Connor did from the very beginning was to create the illusion that I was the dominant partner in the relationship. He did this, especially at the beginning, by idolizing me. We started dating, and he loved everything about me that I was smart, that I'd gone to Harvard, that I was passionate about helping teenage girls and my job. He wanted to know everything about my family and my childhood, my hopes and dreams. Connor believed in me as a writer and a woman in a way that no one else ever had. And he also created a magical atmosphere of trust between us by confessing his secret, which was that as a very young boy starting at age four, he had been savagely and repeatedly physically abused by his stepfather. And the abuse had gotten so bad that he had had to drop out of school in eighth grade, even though he was very smart. And he'd spent almost 20 years rebuilding his life, which is why that Ivy League degree and the Wall Street job and his bright, shiny future meant so much to him. If you had told me that this smart, funny, sensitive man who adored me would one day dictate whether or not I wore makeup, how short my skirts were, where I lived, what jobs I took, who my friends were, and where I spent Christmas, I would have laughed at you. Because there was not a hint of violence or control or anger in Connor at the beginning. I didn't know that the first stage in any domestic violence relationship is to seduce and charm the victim. I also didn't know that the second step is to isolate the victim. Now, Connor did not come home one day and announce, you know, hey, this, all this Romeo and Juliet stuff has been great, but I need to move into the next phase where I isolate you and I abuse you. <laughs> so I need to get you out of this apartment where the neighbors can hear you scream and out of this city where you have friends and family and coworkers who can see the bruises. Instead, Connor came home one Friday evening and he told me that he had quit his job that day, his dream job. And he said that he had quit his job because of me, because I had made him feel so safe and loved that he didn't need to prove himself on Wall Street anymore. And he just wanted to get out of the city and away from his abusive, dysfunctional family and move to a tiny town in New England where he could start his life over with me by his side. Now, the last thing I wanted to do was leave New York and my, my dream job. But I thought you made sacrifices for your soulmate. So I agreed, and I quit my job, and Connor and I left Manhattan together. I had no idea I was falling into crazy love, that I was walking headfirst into a carefully laid physical, financial, and psychological trap. The next step in the domestic violence pattern is to introduce the threat of violence and see how she reacts. And here's where those guns come in. As soon as we moved to New England, you know that place where Connor was supposed to feel so safe? He bought three guns. He kept one in the glove compartment of our car. He kept one under the pillows on our bed and the third one he kept in his pocket at all times. 
And he said that he needed those guns because of the trauma he'd experienced as a young boy. He needed them to feel protected. But those guns were really a message for me. And even though he hadn't raised a hand to me, my life was already in grave danger every minute of every day. Connor first physically attacked me five days before our wedding. It was 7 a.m. I still had on my nightgown. I was working on my computer trying to finish a freelance writing assignment, and I got frustrated. And Connor used my anger as an excuse to put both of his hands around my neck and to squeeze so tightly that I could not breathe or scream. And he used the chokehold to hit my head repeatedly against the wall. Five days later, the 10 bruises on my neck had just faded, and I put on my mother's wedding dress, and I married him. Despite what had happened, I was sure we were going to live happily ever after. Because I loved him, and he loved me so much. And he was very, very sorry. He had just been really stressed out by the wedding and by becoming a family with me. It was an isolated incident, and he was never going to hurt me again. It happened twice more on the honeymoon. The first time, I was driving to find a secret beach, and I got lost. And he punched me in the side of my head so hard that the other side of my head repeatedly hit the driver's side window. And then a few days later, driving home from our honeymoon, he got frustrated by traffic, and he threw a cold Big Mac in my face. Connor proceeded to beat me once or twice a week for the next two and a half years of our marriage. I was mistaken in thinking that I was unique and alone in this situation. One in three American women experiences domestic violence or stalking at some point in her life. And the CDC reports that 15 million children are abused every year. 15 million. So actually, I was in very good company. Back to my question, why did I stay? The answer is easy. I didn't know he was abusing me. Even though he held those loaded guns to my head, pushed me downstairs, threatened to kill our dog, pulled the key out of the car ignition as I drove down the highway, poured coffee grinds on my head as I dressed for a job interview, I never once thought of myself as a battered wife. Instead, I was a very strong woman in love with a deeply troubled man, and I was the only person on earth who could help Connor face his demons. The other question everybody asks is, why doesn't she just leave? Why didn't I walk out? I could have left any time. To me, this is the saddest and most painful question that people ask, because we victims know something you usually don't. It's incredibly dangerous to leave an abuser. Because the final step in the domestic violence pattern is kill her. Over 70% of domestic violence murders happen after the victim has ended the relationship, after she's gotten out, because then the abuser has nothing left to lose. Other outcomes include long-term stalking, even after the abuser remarries, denial of financial resources, and manipulation of the family court system to terrify the victim and her children, who are regularly 
forced by family court judges to spend unsupervised time with the man who beat their mother. And still we ask, why doesn't she just leave? I was able to leave because of one final sadistic beating that broke through my denial. I realized that the man who I loved so much was going to kill me if I let him. So I broke the silence. I told everyone. The police, my neighbors, my friends and family, total strangers. And I'm here today because you all helped me. We tend to stereotype victims as grisly headlines, self-destructive women, damaged goods. The question, why does she stay, is code for some people for it's her fault for staying. As if victims intentionally choose to fall in love with men intent upon destroying us. But since publishing Crazy Love, I have heard hundreds of stories from men and women who also got out, who learned an invaluable life lesson from what happened, and who rebuilt lives, joyous, happy lives, as employees, wives, and mothers, lives completely free of violence, like me. Because it turns out that I'm actually a very typical domestic violence victim and a typical domestic violence survivor. I remarried a kind and gentle man. We have those three kids. I have that black lab, and I have that minivan. What I will never have again, ever, is a loaded gun held to my head by someone who says that he loves me. Now, right now, maybe you're thinking, wow, this is fascinating. Or, wow, how stupid was she? But this whole time, I've actually been talking about you. I promise you, there are several people listening to me right now who are currently being abused, or who were abused as children, or who are abusers themselves. Abuse could be affecting your daughter, your sister, your best friend right now. I was able to end my own crazy love story by breaking the silence. I'm still breaking the silence today. It's my way of helping other victims. And it's my final request of you. Talk about what you heard here. Abuse thrives only in silence. You have the power to end domestic violence simply by shining a spotlight on it. We victims need everyone. We need every one of you to understand the secrets of domestic violence. Show abuse the light of day by talking about it with your children, your coworkers, your friends and family. Recast survivors as wonderful, lovable people with full futures. Recognize the early signs of violence and conscientiously intervene, de-escalate it, show victims a safe way out. Together, we can make our beds, our dinner tables, and our families the safe and peaceful oases they should be. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, the George Wilder Jr. Show has now arrived. Welcome back to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Since this is Black History Month, February 2018, as of the taping of this show, this is Black History Month. I'm going to do a clip 
that I have here on the marquee of Dr. Martin Luther King's 1963 I Have a Dream speech. Okay? Uh, it's, I'm going to do it in its entirety. So there will be no interruptions uh, on this thing, you know, because I think it's a great speech. I, I listen to it every, every now and then. I get, exp get inspired by it. And I hope you get inspired by it, too. It doesn't matter what race, creed, or color. I mean, Martin Luther King, was, he was there for all people. So uh, this is a Martin Luther King, I Have a Dream speech on the George Wilder Jr. Show. If uh, the volume is not, uh, turn, up, turn up the volume. All right. At this time, I have the honor to present to you the moral leader of our nation. I have the pleasure to present to you Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. One hundred years later, the, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today dramatize the shameful condition 
In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great faults of opportunity of this nation. So we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment, this sweltering summer of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until there is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. Those who hoped that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship rights. 
The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. But that is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice in the process of gaining our rightful place we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protests to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. The marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. And they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. And as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied. As long as our body is heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I am not my unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom 
left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Georgia. Go back to Louisiana. Go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities. Knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friend, So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners Will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood? I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. And every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. And the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith. We will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, 
we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom ring. From the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania, let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the crevaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last.
a lot of fun folks it should be a lot of fun i try to make it fun i try to make it interesting i try to make it lively because i know i've got plenty of competition out there and it's snowing like cats and dogs in, here in chicago i mean it is snowing it's coming down and if you don't have to be out there don't care but if you have to hold up all right i want to thank everybody for listening to the george wonder junior show tune in tomorrow bye-bye everybody have a great evening